0: Hi. Um, Before we get started, can I just confess something to you? Um, I've been to a lot of church services. A lot. I grew up, my dad's a pastor. I went to school here. um, Went to chapel. I've been to a lot of church services. And sometimes, if I'm being really vulnerable and honest, they get old. They become routine. They feel like I'm just kind of going through the motions. I don't know if you guys feel that way. Maybe that's just me. But if I'm honest and I look back, sure, there's some church services that I don't remember. I came and went and they were done. But there's been a good amount where God met me. He showed up for me. And I don't know, this may be one that comes and goes for you. Or maybe maybe God's going to meet you. Maybe you already did through a song. Or maybe through something someone's going to say. And I know this is chapel. And I know that it's just part of what you do. But maybe today, just be expectant. Because maybe this is a day God wants to meet you. Okay? All right. That being said, <laughs> I'm Angie. My husband, Jason, is... Um, down there. And he and I are the mentors for one of the living learning communities through Indiana Wesleyan. And we are the mentors for the downtown house. Um, We are on Boot Street down there by the library in downtown Marion. And this is the first year that we've had college students that have um, been living there as well. And um, we want to just talk to you a little bit about that and about what God is doing in that. Um, This is Aaron, if you don't know him, and Eric. And they're two of the guys that live in the house. Nate and Jay also live in the house as well. And we're going to start by just letting you hear some stories from Aaron and Eric about um, some things they've experienced in their time living in the downtown house.
1: Yeah. um, So I want to tell you about an event that we had at our house. Uh, We called it the Block Party. And essentially what we did was we made food and hoped people would show up. Um, yeah, so fortunately people did show up and we had about maybe a dozen kids come by and just want to play. And it was, it was really awesome because they just wanted to be loved and we were there to, to show it to them. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We just played football with them, uh, tossed a baseball and ate some hamburgers and we had a blast. Um, but I think something that more, that's more important than that is the mothers of, of the situation. And um, so these kids were from, like, the houses right next door. And we noticed that their moms were, like, peeking out the windows um, and not really interacting at first. And um, a couple hours go by, we're just playing with them, and eventually they, they come out, like, to their porch. Maybe another hour goes by, and they're down on the front step. And as time keeps going on, these kids, or the, the mothers of the kids, they keep getting closer and closer until they're in our lawn and ready to talk to us. And that right there is the purpose of, of the house. Um, it's beautiful because these mothers, if if we were just there for an hour or two doing an event um, they would have never came out. We had to be there for multiple hours for them to feel comfortable enough to come to us. And that's the point of us living in this community, to, to be there, to be present, and to be able to talk to them when they're ready. And I think that's the most beautiful part, and that's, that's kind of what I've experienced, and that's what I've learned from this house. And it's, it's essentially just being there, being present and being ready for, for when the time comes, somebody comes to you. And I, I just think that's awesome.
2: Yeah, um, so my story kind of starts this summer. Um, I got a new car, new to me, old to the world, um, 1998 Chevy S10, and it's a bucket of rust, um, but I love it, it's an awesome truck. Um, Three weeks into the semester, my starter goes out, which is okay, because it's a stick shift, and about a block down the road from the Living Learning Community House, there's a hill. And I know if I get my truck to this hill, I can, I can push the, the truck myself for a block because it, it weighs 20 pounds in a rainy day. Um, I can push it to that hill, hop in it, roll down the hill and get enough speed to pop the clutch and start the car. Um, I can do that by myself. And I know I'm okay because that hill's only a block away. But like the first week my starter goes out, or the first day it goes out, I'm up at 8 a.m. going to my, my no 9 a.m., going to my 9.25. And I get to the end of that first flat block, and there's a car sitting, or no, there's a house right on the top of the hill. And I notice there's a family sitting on their front porch, and it's uh, mom, dad, grandparents, all these kids out at 9 a.m. I don't know why, but um, they're all sitting there. And as soon as I'm, I'm pushing by, behind my truck, not in it, um, the family starts whispering and I start hearing like, what's he doing? Why, why isn't he in his truck? What's wrong? Um, and i I'd say hi and the dad asked, can I help you? And I'm 22, I'm prideful, I don't need help. Um, I say no thank you. Um, and get going down the hill, hop in my truck, pop the clutch and I'm driving to school. Um, and that went on for like, the first week. Um, I, <laughs> starters are expensive (laughs) I'm a college student um but about like three days into that first week I kept pushing the family would see me they'd hi and wave back and um I'd do my thing and the dad would always ask if he could help and I'd say no I'm, I'm okay thank you um but about three days into that first week I'm pushing and all of a sudden the dad's next to me um on my tailgate pushing my truck and I didn't even didn't even get the opportunity to say no thank you or he didn't even ask Um, And we did that for about a month and a half. Um, (laughs) It it was really an incredible thing, that month and a half of not having a starter. Um, I don't know if you guys have been in Marion very much, but any street you're on in Marion, there's someone walking. So, regardless of where I went, there would be someone there seeing me push my truck. They'd hop on the tailgate with me, help me push it. I'd run, hop in, pop the clutch, and open the door like a crazy person and yell, thank you. Um, but it was really beautiful, and we got to talk about it, like, all the guys in the house, and Jason and Angie, that, um, we kind of came into downtown thinking, like, we're Indiana Wesleyan, we're gonna, we're gonna help out the community, and we're gonna do cool little things to, like, make our time, like, rich and beautiful, but, I mean, I don't know if I've done anything for the community, but I've been shown grace, and I've been loved, and, like, I've noticed that community and, like, building relationships is a two-way street, even in service, so, um... Marion has been able to love me a ton and um, pour into my life. And with that, like, I, really, I really like it. It's a good place to live. So, yeah.
3: Thanks, guys. I'm going to be reading from the message starting in... Uh, Matthew 9, 35, and reading through chapter 10. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless were they, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. The prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called 12 of his followers and sent them into the ripe fields. He gave them power to kick out the evil spirits, and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. This is the list of the 12 he sent. Simon, they called him Peter or Rock, Andrew, his brother, James, Zebedee's son, John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax man, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, Judas Iscariot, who would later turn on him, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers, and don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is near. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep going is three meals a day. Travel light. When you enter a town or village, don't insist on staying in a luxury inn. Get a modest place with some modest people and be content there until you leave. When you knock on a door, be courteous in your greeting. If they welcome you, be gentle in your conversation. If they don't welcome you, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your your shoulders and be on your way. You can be sure that on judgment day, they'll be mighty sorry, but it's no concern of yours now. Stay alert, this is hazardous work I'm assigning you. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack, so don't call attention to yourselves. Be as cunning as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. Don't be naive. Some people will impugn your motives, others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities. Without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor, giving you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the words. When people realize it is the living God you're presenting and not some idol that makes them feel good, they're gonna turn on you, even people in your own family. This is a great irony here. Proclaiming so much love, experiencing so much hate. But don't quit. Don't cave in. It is all well worth it in the end. It is not success you are after in such times, but survival. Be survivors. Before you run out of options, the son of man will have arrived. A student doesn't get a better desk than his teacher. A laborer doesn't make more money than his boss. Be content, pleased even, when you, my students, my harvest hands, get the same treatment I get. If they call me the master, dung face, what can the workers expect? Don't be intimidated. Eventually everything is going to be out in the open and everyone will know how things really are. So don't hesitate to go public now. Don't be bluffed into silence by the threat of bullies. There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body and soul in his hands. What's the price of a pet canary? Some loose change, right? And God cares what happens to it even more than you do. He pays even greater attention to you, down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. So don't be intimidated by all this bully talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. Stand up for me against world opinion, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. If you turn, tail, and run, do you think I'll cover for you? Don't think I've come to make life cozy. I've come to cut, make a sharp knife cut between father and son, daughter and mother, Bride and mother in law, cut through these cozy domestic arrangements and free for your God and free for God. Well meaning family members can be your worst enemies. If you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. If you go all the way with me through thick and thin, you, you don't if you don't go all the way through me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. We are intimately linked in this harvest work. Anyone who accepts what you do accepts me, the one who sent you. Anyone who accepts what I do accepts my Father who sent me. Accepting a messenger of God is as good as being God's messenger. Accepting someone's help is as good as giving someone help. This is a large work I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing.
0: Please tell me that you guys have seen Back to the Future. Yes, good. I can't really imagine anyone not having seen Back to the Future, in particular Back to the Future 2, but I am realizing as I get older, reluctantly realizing that um, there's a good increasing chance that a college student right now may not have seen a movie that I consider to be a classic. Um, I kind of feel like it's my duty to pass these movies along to you. So, go see it if you haven't seen it. Um, the thing about Back to the Future too is that there is a part of the movie that is set decades into the future. And believe it or not, the year that they envision is 2015. So it's really kind of fun to see how they, the writers, back in the 80s, thought you and I would be living our lives. Um, I watched it again recently because it's 2015. You have to. Um, And to be honest, I was a little disappointed in us for not reaching some of the technological advances that they thought we would reach. I mean, it would be so sweet to be like hoverboarding around campus. Don't you think? I mean, come on. Okay. Well, actually some of it is semi-accurate. It's kind of creepy how the, the, some of the things they did predict. You'll have to watch it. But part of the idea of the Back to the Future movies is that the smallest changes in the past can have dramatic effects on the present. And the smallest changes in the present can have dramatic effects on the future. Two years ago, my husband Jason and I sat across the table from our pastor. And we discussed the possibility of moving in to the downtown house that actually Exit 59 Church owns. We were excited, but we were kind of overwhelmed. We had a lot of visions of what it could be like, but to be honest, we were totally clueless. But I remember the presence of the Holy Spirit being so thick as our pastor talked 20 years into the future. If we move into the neighborhood, and we get to know lost and confused people, if we touch untouchable people, if we tell them that the kingdom is here, if we kick out demons, what could look different in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? How might we be different in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? 20 years is a long time. It's literally a lifetime for most of you in the room. So wrapping your brain around that long of a time frame is like trying to wrap your brain around the space-time continuum stuff in the Back to the Future movies. here's what I wonder, does the future of Marion, Indiana look any different at all because Indiana Wesleyan University is here? Does it look any different because you are here? Most of you in the room will be here four-ish years. Could it be that you aren't just in Marion, Indiana because it happens to be where IWU is? Could it be that somehow, some way, the future of Marion, Indiana might be different because you are here? And what about you? Will you be changed and impacted by being here? I'm fairly confident you'll probably look back and talk about the ways that Indiana Wesleyan impacted you. But how might you be different if you allow Marion, Indiana and the people who call this home to make a mark on your life? In Matthew 10, Jesus is sending out workers into the harvest field. He says, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost and confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. This is in many ways what we feel like the downtown house is supposed to be about. But sometimes it doesn't feel like we're doing all that much. We weren't up here telling you stories about people that got healed, and certainly not about people who were raised from the dead. And I have a lot of personal moments where I'm like, Okay, God, we're here, now what? We're starting to build relationships, but even that sometimes feels like we're not gaining much ground. Sometimes it doesn't feel like the field is all that ripe. At the end of chapter nine, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. But here's what I wonder. What if he doesn't mean that autumn is here, fruit is ripe and it's ready to be picked? What if instead he's seeing into the future, a harvest that is coming? Right now, it's winter. We are buried under ice and snow more days than we're not. And spring seems like an eternity away, let alone next fall. We don't look over frost-covered dead fields and see a harvest most of the time. But God, He sees September just as clearly as He sees January and February. He sees 20 years from now as clearly as he sees today. Maybe Jesus is calling workers into the field in February for September's harvest. I'm not a farmer. I'm not even a gardener. But I've learned that the work involved in harvesting harvesting starts way before the harvest. It even starts before planting a seed. There is work even in preparing soil. You have to test the soil, plan layouts, clear weeds, till the soil. There's all kinds of stuff. I don't even know what half the stuff is. Fertilizers and all, all kinds of stuff you do to prepare the soil. And sometimes I wonder if part of what we're doing in downtown Marion is preparing soil. A few chapters after uh, Matthew 10, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a story about scattering seed where he talks about that some will fall on the thorny ground and some will fall on the with the sandy ground or whatever, rocky ground, all the different kinds of ground it can fall on. But it's only the seed that's sown on good soil that has a chance to produce the kind of harvest that Jesus was talking about. Scattering seeds is an important job. And I would guess that most of you, you know, you try to look for opportunities to plant seeds here and there. But changing and preparing soil, that takes time. It takes long-term investment. I think that's some of what God's allowing us to be part of downtown. We get to join the Holy Spirit in the work of turning rocky, thorny soil into the kind of soil where seed can actually take root. So how do we prepare soil? If we follow the metaphor, then we need tools and tillers and fertilizers and all kinds of equipment. But in these verses, Jesus says you're the equipment. Your life, your voice, your gifting, brought to life and set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just about what we say or how we're gifted. My husband and I were talking and he had the insight that sometimes it's our messiness, our junk, our crap, if you will, that fertilizes the soil and prepares it. And it's being vulnerable and being in relationship with people and letting them see that. In reality, Jesus' instructions in this passage are pretty simple. He says, get a modest place with some modest people and be content there. The downtown house, it's old and it's pretty, but it's, it's not fancy. It's pretty modest. And no offense, guys, but we're pretty modest people, okay? We're not trained in urban ministry. We haven't researched it or studied it. We, we don't know what we're doing half the time. But we, we can have gentle conversations. We can learn how to not be pushy, but learn how to be ready when someone's ready to talk to us. And somehow, these simple instructions of having these kinds of simple conversations, God says it provides opportunity for him to do miraculous things like heal the sick and raise the dead. And even though the instructions are simple, it doesn't mean the work is easy. He talks about in verses 16 through 23 all the hazards that you could face doing the work. And we faced some, to be honest. Some would say even just living in the bad part of town is hazard in and of itself, which I guess is true. But to be honest, some of what I've seen in doing the kind of work that kicks out demons is that the enemy doesn't go down without a fight. I really feel like living in the downtown house we're invading enemy territory. He doesn't want to give up the ground. He's worked hard for generations to make sure that no seed planted in that soil will take root. And sometimes his fight's more obvious and sometimes it's kind of subtle. It comes through things going wrong in the house or disunity in the community or of just us. It's sometimes things in our families or things that we're struggling with that feel like they're overwhelming. And sometimes it's so much that all we can kind of do is survive, which he talks about in these passages. Don't cave in. It's not not success you're after in such times, but survival. But honestly, as ineffective as I feel sometimes at making any sort of impact, it is comforting to some extent to know that the enemy is as stirred up as he is over an old yellow house on Boot Street filled with college students. Towards the end of the passage, Jesus starts talking about some uncomfortable things, like cutting between family members and loving, don't love your family too much, and things I don't fully understand even after studying some of this. And I, exegetically speaking, won't do it justice. But there is something that I notice in these final verses. Jesus is getting really serious about our relationship with him. He talks about acknowledging him, and putting him first, and receiving him no matter the cost. And I don't think he does it for his own benefit. He's not insecure, he's not narcissistic, he simply knows we need him. If moving into a neighborhood, and building relationships, and having conversations is going to heal the sick, and raise the dead, and drive out demons, if we're going to have any hope of surviving the enemy's schemes against us, we have to be connected to the vine. We have to be intimately connected to Christ. We have to have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and empowering us. Jesus is bringing the focus back to relationship with him because he knows how important it is. So as you look 5, 10, 15, 20 years into the future, maybe the smallest changes that you make now will have dramatic effects Mary in Indiana and maybe connecting with Mary in Indiana will have dramatic effects on you in the final verses of chapter 10 the message kind of gives a different perspective on his final words, Jesus's final words to the 12 it says accepting someone's help is as good as giving someone help this large work I've called you this is a large work I've called you into but don't be overwhelmed by it it's best to start small Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you the true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. These verses speak to a small act that can have a large impact, but they also speak to the idea that it isn't just giving that matters. It's also about receiving. It's being in mutual relationship, like Eric talked about, with people who may impact you as much as you impact them. I think that when God looks 20 years into the future, he does not just see the kingdom coming to fruition in the community and people of Marion, Indiana. I think that when God looks 20 years into the future, he also sees the kingdom bearing fruit in you. As we close, I want you to stop a minute and let these questions sink in as I ask them again. How is Marion, Indiana going to be different? Because Indiana Wesleyan University is here. How will it be different because you are here? How will you be different? Not just because of IWU, but but because you live in Marion, Indiana. You may not still be here 20 years from now, but God did place you in Marion, Indiana for these four years. The question is, why:
3: If any of you are uh, interested in finding out more will be about the downtown house, we'll be uh, here for a few minutes after chapel, or you can talk to Melissa Sprock and student development. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have placed Indiana Wesleyan in Marion, Indiana. We thank you that you've placed each of us here. God, you may be stirring in some of our hearts for different ways to connect and impact those around us, uh, those on campus, those in this neighborhood, those in Marion. Jesus, I ask that you would Continue to prompt us and guide us in what you have for us. We thank you for the message that has been brought. I ask that you would continue to send your spirit to speak to us and that we may have ears to hear. We thank you and we love you and we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.